Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Chapter 3, verse by verse, when you go verse by verse through the Scripture, you have to deal with the sections that you would like to skip, but we're not going to do that. This is one of the three major sections dealing with marriage in the New Testament. There's two, two main problems in marriage today, men and women. Every marriage license ought to have at the top learner's permit on it. Because marriage is like a car. You know, it'll get you where you need to go. But if you don't, you have to put something in that car to get you where you're going. And if you don't maintain that automobile, it's going to break down and malfunction. I know that today there are many of you in different situations regarding marriage Some of you have good marriages. Some of you are in difficult marriages. Some of you are not married. Some of you want to be married and so forth. I want you to understand that no matter where you are today, God can still speak to your heart because his word does not return void. Today, we're going to speak to the wives. Next Sunday, before you leave, men, I want to sign affidavit that you will be here next Sunday. Turnabout's fair play. Uh, We'll deal with the husbands. But today, we're going to talk about beautiful wives. It's much more than skin deep. Would you stand while I read verse 1 through 6 in chapter 3? Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be one by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be outward, merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we pray that now you will apply it where it's needed the most in our hearts, that when we leave we might be drawn closer and strengthened to you. And so, God, we ask now you specially strengthen marriages. I especially lift up the women in this room today that you might speak to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to know about marriage, you just simply ask children. They've got all the answers. For example... A kid's idea on marriage, Kirsten age 10 said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. (laughs) 
What's the right age to get married? Freddie, age six, said, no age is good to get married. You've got to be a fool to get married. <laughs> and then I love this one. How do you make a marriage work? Ricky, age 10, says, you tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. We're going to talk about beautiful wives. And you know what? If you're not married, this can still apply to you as a beautiful woman. And so let's look at what God's Word has to say. And we're going to plow right through the difficult stuff first. We're going to talk how, how about being a beautiful wife. First notice what I'll call the compliance of a godly wife. Verse 1 and 2. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive. And beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In the society that we live in, there's so much emphasis put on outward beauty, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be beautiful. But our world has made it such, uh, such an important f feature that people today are desperate trying to be beautiful. It's also interesting that it's not all it's cracked up to be. People Magazine sometimes puts out an issue that has the 50 most beautiful people. And I wonder how they come up with that. It has to be subjective. It can't be objective. But in that edition one year, Halle Berry, who you may know who that is. If I put her picture up, you would know who she was because you've seen her in movies. A very beautiful lady. She was asked about it. And I want to quote what she said. After being um, put in People's Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People, she said, beauty, let me tell you something. Being thought of as a beautiful woman has spared me nothing in life, no heartache, no trouble. Love has been difficult. Beauty is essentially meaningless, and it has always been transitory. Isn't that interesting coming from a movie star? That beauty is meaningless and it's transitory. Well, folks, all of us know that beauty does fade depending on how you look at it. And today I want to talk to you, or I want the Word of God to talk to us, about being a beautiful wife. And we talk about being compliant. There's two parts to this. First of all, it involves willful submission. Likewise, in verse 1, refers back to all the authority that's being, being talked about. And before you men start saying amen, look at verse 7, you also see the word likewise. Because you see, there are, in, in all segments of life, we are going to have to follow order. There's direction and there's, there's order, otherwise you have chaos. Peter's already said, under the government, we're supposed to be compliant as citizens. We are supposed to follow the laws. And then he mentioned the slaves and masters, and we compared that to being an employer and working in your business. If you've got somebody that you're working for, when they tell you to do something or they guide you, you're supposed to do it. And then he says, likewise, in the home life, there has to be order. And then we're going to see in a moment, or not the moment, but later down the road, we're going to see there has to be order even among the fellowship of believers. There's leadership. Now, when it comes to the word submit, there's usually two reactions to it, what I'll call extreme reactions, and then there's the, the biblical reaction to it. 
First of all, some are so repulsed by the idea of submitting that they rebel and they become just the opposite. They become loud and boisterous and criticizing. They refuse to recognize any leadership of their husbands and they're constantly complaining and nagging. The other extreme would be become the doormat. They think that they're a slave and that they must always do exactly what their husbands say without question. And as a result, they become mousy, timid women who walk 15 steps behind their husbands. Both of those reactions are wrong. Submission has nothing to do with being inferior. Let's get that out there in the open. Most men are smart. Most women are smarter than men. It has nothing to do with your brains. It has nothing to do with your equality with God because God looks at men and women as equal, as co-equals. In fact, he makes us one as husband and wife, just like the Trinity is one, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What does submit mean? Well, let's look at it. Hupo tasso. H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. It's a Greek word. comes from two words. Hupo, which means alongside of or under. And it has more than to do with this, the location, but also support. And then the word tasso, which means to put in order. So it means to come alongside someone and uphold them and help them put things in order. It does not mean be a slave. It does not mean that you're owned by anyone. It doesn't mean that they have rights over you. It means that God is going to ask the husband to lead his family, and God is going to hold them accountable how they lead their family. And wives, you're supposed to come alongside the husband and support him and help him. If your husband ever asks you to do something that's ungodly or against God's word, you don't do it. You follow the Lord first. Now, let me put this in practical terms. I do not set myself up as the perfect husband. My, my marriage is half perfect. Laura's perfect and I'm not. But I, wanted to, I want to use us as an example, not because I set ourselves up as the example to follow. And let's just get this all out here in the open right now. Everyone in here is flawed. Everyone in here is sinful. Everyone in here is not perfect. So I'm not a perfect husband, and we don't have a perfect marriage. But let me explain how hupotasso works. Most of the time, Laura and I, well, all of the time, when we have a major decision that's come up, we pray about it and we talk it out. We talk about it. And 95% of the time, we come to the right conclusion. Sometimes I have the best idea and I convince her of that. Sometimes she's got a much better idea and she convinces me of that. And it's not a battle of the wills. It's whatever's best for our home. But occasionally... And I say occasionally, rarely, we come to a place where we don't completely agree. It's not a knockdown, drag out fight. We've never had one of those. But we don't completely agree. She will hupotasso me. She'll come along beside me and she'll say, okay, I'm going to support you. Don't necessarily agree with it, but I'm going to support you. And you know what? And she does. And I can tell you that several times, more times than I won't admit, it hadn't worked out well for me. 
I've made a mistake. And she, but still, she's right there supporting me and helping me. And then and she never once has said, I told you so. I told you so. She could, but she doesn't need to. The Holy Spirit has already told me, and I'm pretty hard on myself. But the fact is, when husbands and wives work together, God is glorified, and the marriage works. But there came a time when she said, okay, I'm with you. It cost, it cost us a lot. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells the women to look at the Trinity. Here's what he says, verse, 1 Corinthians 11, 3. Now, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the wife is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, wait a minute. You see the analogy here? You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Are any of them inferior to the others? Not at all. They're a, they're a unit. They're a whole. They're one. He said Christ is the head of the man. The man, when I say head, he doesn't own the wife, but he's supposed to lead the wife. And they're both under the Lord, and they're supposed to be one. And marriage can actually honor and glorify the Trinity. Let me give you further proof. Who ate the fruit in the Garden of Eden first? Who? Who? Eve. Woman. Who was held responsible? Adam. In fact, in Romans, it says, by sin, by one man, sin entered the world. So Adam got blamed. Why? Because God had given him the responsibility to lead his wife, and he didn't. What I'm trying to tell you is, it has nothing to do with your equality to God. It has everything to do with order. And the submission is not a confession of inferiority. It's simply an agreement to work in a designated or particular order or structure. And God has given that structure. He's going to hold men accountable for everything their family does. He's going to hold his, the husband accountable for how he treats his wife and how he leads his children and treats them. We'll answer for it one day. But wives... There has to be a leader in that home, and God's given it to your husband. Actually, he's given it to both of you because it says the two will become one flesh. It's not a who's in control and who's going to rule and all that nonsense. And yeah, there are a lot of men who are so chauvinistic that they can't see that their wife has anything to give. And there are women who are so feministic that think a man doesn't have a brain. And so you just have all this conflict. When in reality, God intended for it to be one relationship. First, among equals. Is there such a thing? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I've come to do my Father's will. And so, Jesus was not any less equal with God Marriage can reflect the oneness of the Godhead also. 
Well, Peter then mentions the subject of withheld speech. Verse 2 Excuse me, verse 1, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Without a word. God can use your submission and your spirit to win a lost spouse, a lost husband to the Lord without a word. You're not going to win him by preaching. You're not going to win him by nagging. You're not going to win him by making sure that Christian radio is blasting through your house all the time. He's watching how you act. Heard of a man that named, he called his wife, didn't name her. He called his wife Peg. Her name wasn't any close to Peg. It was a totally different name. He said, what, somebody asked him, why do you call her Peg? He said, well, Peg is short for Pegasus. Pegasus was an immortal horse, and an immortal horse is an everlasting nag. So I call my wife Peg. I heard a comedian say, I haven't spoken to my wife in years. I didn't want to interrupt her. <laughs> Ladies, it doesn't mean, and we're going to show you in a minute, it doesn't mean you have to be mute or quiet, silent. Solomon had 700 wives. What an idiot. <laughs> really? Now, he would violated God's will. That was not God's will for his life, I'm telling you. And you can read it for yourself. 700 of them. He wrote in Proverbs 21.9, Better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a contentious wife. Proverbs 19, 13, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. So how do you reach a, a husband that's not saved? How do you reach him? Because he says, the scripture says he's going to behold or observe your conduct in verse 2. It means to view attentively. He's going to view your chaste purity, your and your reverence, the word fear there doesn't mean you're fear, afraid of your husband. Do you respect him? I want to tell you one of the number one things a man wants in his life is for his wife to at least respect him. Doesn't mean he's perfect, but she, he wants to at least know that you respect him as a person, as a man. That you're not always putting him down. And, and the word respect there is the same word that, that Peter used about reverencing and fearing God. We respect God. We're and because you respect God, you respect your husband. And I want to tell you, there are a lot of women today who, you know, if you ever belittle your husband in front of somebody, you just killed him. He may not say anything and he may laugh about it, but I want to tell you something. A man needs to know that his wife thinks he's important as a man and that he is the most important man in your life. Respect him, your conduct. And this is one of those sermons I, I knew it going in today. Nobody says a word. Men are sitting there like a stone. They're going, if I, if I even clear my throat today, I'll get in trouble. Well, let's move on. Let's look at the character of a godly wife. Now, here's where the real beauty is seen. Now, we're going to get down to where the real beauty is. And this, this beauty 
There's three parts to it I want you to see. First of all, it's inward beauty. Verse 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. Now, there are some people who take this to such extreme, they don't ever put on makeup. They don't ever wear any jewelry. They don't ever fix their hair. That is not what Peter is saying. And the reason I know that is because he uses Sarah as an example. And Sarah was a beautiful woman. We'll look at that in just a second. But, but don't take it to the extreme. But you've got to understand that at this time, in the Roman society, there were a lot of Roman women who made their hair. They had all kinds of jewels and all kinds of stuff in it to get attention. They did not even want to lay down to go to sleep because they were afraid they would mess up their hair. And then the jewelry, it's nothing wrong with wearing jewelry, but they would have such elaborate jewelry that that's all you could notice. And y'all thought blinging came around recently. The Romans were blinging. Some of you don't know what that means. And then the, and the adornment or the clothing didn't mean just covering. Actually, it was talking about the, the covering of the worldly clothes. It and we're told in Romans not to conform to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But there was so much emphasis then. And today it's no different because if you stand in line and you, and you just glance at the headlines of some of those magazines, most of them are talking about how to get beautiful, how to get rid of wrinkles, and how to do this, and how to cover up that, and how to shrink this, and so forth. And how to lift this and do that. It's all outward, and yet there's an inward beauty, he said. Let it be the hidden person of the heart. Could I, could I pause and say something right here? I'm going to. <laughs> the way a woman dresses is a testimony to her values. Ladies, if you're married, you don't want to try to keep getting the attention of other men. I'm not saying you don't make yourself pretty. In fact, the word adornment, it comes from the word cosmos, and we get our word cosmetics from it. Listen, if it makes you look better, use it. There's nothing wrong with that. Your husband likes it. Amen, guys? It's a safe place. Say amen. I'll nod when you say amen. It's a safe place. But what I'm trying to tell you is that it amazes me that women who are married still dress the way in such a way that it distracts men. The only place you ought to distract, the only man you ought to distract is your husband. And so, and, and girls, let me just tell you, those of you who are not married, if you want to find a godly man, then you need to dress in such a way that you're not going to just catch the attention of every ungodly person on this earth. I hope that makes enough sense without me having to get a little more clear. Today's world, people try to show as much of their body as they possibly can. Let me move on. You'll notice this imperishable beauty. Look at verse 4. Incorruptible beauty. Wouldn't it be awesome? Unfading, imperishable. Doesn't go away. 
This is the kind of beauty that doesn't depend on youth or cosmetics or plastic surgery. It's not external. Have you noticed how many beauty parlors there are? And nail salons? And clothing stores? Why is that? It's because it doesn't last. You ladies, go get your hair done and get a permanent. There ain't nothing permanent about it. It doesn't last. You get your nails done, you got to go back and get them done. There's nothing wrong with that. Clothes wear out, go out of style. Why do you think they keep changing the style so you go buy more clothes? It does not last. And it's all right to go make yourself look pretty. But God's not concerned with that as much as the hidden person of the heart. The personality that's made beautiful by the Holy Spirit. Two words describe it. Gentle and quiet. Huh. Gentle has the basic idea of gentleness or meekness. And most of the time we think of meek, we think of some mousy person. Let me tell you what a meek means. It means it's the picture of a horse with a bit in its mouth. You've got a horse that's as strong and beautiful and fast as it ever was. It's just been brought under control. A meek person is still strong and has all the stuff they have about them. They've just been brought under the control by the Holy Spirit. It means your lips, your eyes, your ears, your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, attitudes, Everything's been brought under control of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you're cowered down. It means you've been brought under control. Power under God's control. It's the way a Christian woman lives moment by moment by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then the word quiet. Hesukia. It doesn't mean keep your mouth shut. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean silence. It pictures a a person that's got a tranquil, calm spirit instead of a combative spirit. I've met women who, if you just said good morning, they'd start saying something ugly to you. Combative. What do you mean by that? Let me rephrase it. It was a good morning until I spoke to you. That's what I'd like to say. It's a picture of a surface of a lake on a windless afternoon and it describes the heart that's not ruffled easily by life's concerns. If the husband's the head of the home, the wife is the heart of the home. She sets the emotional tone for the entire family. She sets the tone by her spirit. If the home is peaceful and quiet and restful, it's because it's had an atmosphere created most of the time by the wife. The home is hectic, loud, and disorganized. It's because of the wife has set that tone. Proverbs eleven twenty two says, "Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion." Discretion is the opposite of what our culture calls a wild woman. What is unfading beauty? It's beauty that doesn't depend on mascara or eyeshadow or lip gloss or silk skirts or contact lens or latest fashions. It's a beauty that's just as beautiful at age 87 as it was when you were 17. It's unfading and never goes out of style. It's a gentle and quiet spirit that shines through even in the older years of their life. It does not go away. And God says it's beautiful. You'll notice it's invaluable. 
very precious in the sight of God. We get to heaven one day, there's not going to be a Miss America pageant. There's not going to be a beauty contest in the way that we think of it. He uncovers the heart. He's going to say, let's look at all the beautiful hearts. And some people who may have turned a lot of heads on this earth because of their physical beauty may have an empty heart. And some who've never turned a head on this earth may have the most beautiful spirit within them. That's lasting beauty. That's beauty that lasts the rest of your life. And so, ladies, you don't want to come to the end of your life and be a grumpy old woman. You've got to keep guarding it. You've got to keep working on it. Finally, let's notice the commitment of a godly wife. Now, I don't want you to miss the point that Peter is trying to make. Beauty is a matter of the heart first and foremost. Blessed is the woman who trusts in God and her husband, for she shall be called beautiful. Two things. Here's the, don't miss any of this. This is the best stuff right here. First of all, you got to rely on God. You cannot be this kind of lady if you don't rely on the Lord. It does not come naturally. This gentle and quiet spirit, these are not natural tendencies. These are acquired traits that come from the Holy Spirit. So if you don't trust in God, you can forget all of this. But here's the thing. He uses Sarah and Abraham as an example. And he said the comfort for Sarah was that she trusted God and had her hope in him. She loved Abraham, but she trusted God. Here's what I want you to remember. Sarah wasn't perfect. Nobody in here is perfect. There are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect wives. No perfect husbands. Sarah wasn't perfect. She trusted God, but, but she blew it, didn't she? When God told Abraham he was going to have a son through her, she decided that wasn't going to happen. So she said, well, you need, to, you need to have a child through Hagar. Well, hadn't that worked out well? All the nonsense we got going on in this world is because of Ishmael. Well, the fact is, Sarah made some mistakes, but God still used her. That's what I want you to see. So if you've blown it, start where you are today. Listen, all of us would like to go back and have a do-over. We can't. Start where you are today. Today. I'll nail it down today. But not only do you trust in the Lord in verse 5, but, it, but it also you respect your husband. Now, verse 6 says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, my soul, what a, what a phrase for all the women. Today, I want you to go, when you leave today, I want you to start calling your husband Lord. <laughs> if you do that, Guys, if you demand that, you won't see your wife for a week. By then, you may be able to open one eye about that far. The deal is, the word obeyed doesn't mean the same word as slaves obey a master. That's not what it means. That's really not the point. What I want you to see is that it's written a constitutive aorist, which means that her overarching life, all through her life, she was with Abraham. She was standing by him. She was supporting him. She was helping him. 
Yeah, she made some mistakes. But if you looked at her life and you characterized it in one phrase, all her life she followed Abraham. And the word Lord, obviously when you use that word Lord with Jesus, we mean Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But it also was a, a term of respect with sir or my dear husband. It was a term of respect. God spoke to Abraham and Abraham believed God. Then Abraham spoke to Sarah and Sarah believed Abraham. So Abraham believed God and Sarah believed Abraham. And if you put that into one sentence, it means this. Sarah respected her husband enough to believe that God could speak to her through him. Did you hear that? But you don't know my husband. Well, let me tell you something. If God can speak through Balaam's donkey, he can speak through your husband. How's that for an analogy? God can do amazing things when you trust him and you begin to respect your husband. Every Christian wife must eventually come to, do I believe God is able to speak to me through my husband? If the answer is no, then submission will never be possible. But if the answer is yes, then you become a true daughter of Sarah. Did I say that's the only way God's going to speak to you? That's not what I said. But sometimes God can speak to you through your husband. And husbands, sometimes God can speak to you through your wife. The husbands are going to get theirs next Sunday. You make sure they're here. If you just drag them in by the nose, you make sure they're here. There's two reasons why this is such a good example. First of all, Abraham and Sarah were both flawed people. My goodness, Abraham lied twice about his wife. In Genesis, they're coming into Egypt, and, and, and it says Abraham in chapter 12, not Abraham, it said Sarah was so beautiful that Abraham got afraid. He said, they're going to kill me and want you. So tell them I'm your brother. He, he lied twice about her, and yet God still used him. So what does that tell you? That God can still use us in spite of our flaws. They're not perfect. And second, we know that she was very beautiful woman. She, the Egyptians saw her and called her a very beautiful woman in Genesis 12, 14. So that means this. Peter did not denigrate or put down outward beauty. He didn't, so don't read into that. Well, I can't wear jewelry and I can't fix my hair and I can't wear makeup. You're not interpreting that correctly. And I know that's going to get me a lot of correspondence when they see this on television. So what's God saying in all this passage? Well, next Sunday, we're going to see husbands that says, likewise, wives, likewise. There's a lot of submitting to one another. But when it comes right down to the home, God will hold the man accountable. He's the head of the home. He's got to answer for everything that's going on in that home. Just like Adam had to answer for what Eve did in the garden. And, and I promise you, men, we're not supposed to treat our wives 
and with anything but love and respect. In fact, we're told in Ephesians to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Zig Ziglar spoke on family, focus on the family radio one time, and he said, meeting any of the following conditions will greatly reduce the chances of a marriage failure. Less than one couple in 200 ever divorce when all three of the following conditions are met. One, they pray together and aloud every day. Two, they read God's word together and aloud every day. And three, they attend worship services together and regularly. God is the home. He's the head. Man is in one corner. Woman is in the other corner. And as they grow in their relationship to God, they get closer together. But so many times, you've got one who's trying to grow in their relationship to the God, and the other is sitting here. They don't ever attend. They don't ever read the Word. They don't ever pray. And so it gets all out of balance. Well, you may be like the young preacher's wife who stood up and nervously testified. The Bible says that no good thing does the Lord withhold from them that walk uprightly. And my husband is one of those no good things. Then you start praying for him. You can't change your husband or your wife. Only the Lord can. So it comes back to you. What can I do in my relationship with God? What can I do in my marriage? What can I do for me? And I want to tell you, it begins by making things right with the Lord and saying, Lord, help me to be the wife that I need to be. Please put in me that gentle and quiet, that not being disturbed. You ever met some of these people that they're like chicken little, the sky's falling all the time. They're just, man, it, it drive you nuts. That the way you trust in the Lord? No. Lord, I'm going to trust in you. So if you think you're married to one of those no good things, you just need to keep serving and being a wife that is beautiful in the Lord's eyes. Now, the last thing I'll tell you, if you've got a husband that's not a Christian or he's out of fellowship with God, I tell ladies this all the time that come to see me crying about their relationship with their husband. Say, so you know what? You've got to commit your husband to the Lord. And I, what I mean by that is you've got to get out of the way and say, Lord, whatever it takes to bring him to you, please let it happen. Now, you know if he's the head of the home, whatever happens to him is going to fall on you too. So you better be ready for it. Because it may get a little bit miser miserable before the Lord gets his attention. Men have hard heads, but God can have a harder head. And he can get a man's attention if you'll just turn him loose. Say, Lord, whatever it takes, he's all yours. Help me to be a loving wife. But, Lord, I want you more than anything, you to bring him to you. 
help me just to be a godly wife in that situation. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.